Good morning, everybody. Hi, my name is Joanna, and I'm going to be sharing with you today from about our gospel reading that we've just read as a part of our service with Vancouver Eastside Vineyard Church for Sunday, the 14th of March, which is the fourth Sunday of Lent. And if you are a part of our Zoom church service, we just read that story together. If you're watching this another time, probably hi, mom. <laughs> and um, I invite you to read the story, maybe pause this video right now and just take a minute to read that story. Uh, so once again, that's from the Gospel of John chapter four, verses one to 14. So it's the story of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman at a well. And it's such a rich story. We're actually going to divide it into two parts for our teaching series. So I'm going to teach on the first part today. And my friend Kate is going to teach on the second part next week. And um, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's truly quite special to me. And if you've been following along with our series uh, on embodiment through the lens of the, the book of John, uh, you will have already heard our other teachers talk about how the gospel of John is really having a front row seat into the life of Jesus. That um, it's almost like John heard how Matthew, Mark, and Luke told the story and he was like, yeah, but you kind of missed the best bits or my favorite bits or this other point that you didn't get at all. And um, I had a conversation with one of my sisters the other day and we were talking about uh, an event that had happened for probably 20 years ago now, but we had both been, it was a trip that we'd taken together and she had two small children at the time. I didn't have any kids and um, our perspectives on the trip were totally different. The things that she remembered I didn't remember at all. And the things I remembered, she didn't remember at all. And, um, and I think that happens a lot with the, with the gospels, right? John is like, no, you missed this part. Remember when I outran Peter on the way to the tomb after Jesus rose from the dead? So I love the little bits that he puts in there. And this is one of the, sorry, Zoom, I just have to fix my hair a little bit. Okay. Um, and these are, um, this is one of those stories. So this is a story that doesn't appear in any of the other gospels. And it's one that Jesus must have told John about the story. And we know that John was one of Jesus's closest friends. And so it's an extraordinary story for a number of reasons. It's, it's extraordinary because, um, partly because Jesus was a Jewish man and, uh, Jewish men, didn't typically have conversations with Samaritan women. And this is the longest conversation that's recorded in any of the gospels that Jesus has with anybody. And it would have also been very culturally strange, not only that Jesus had a conversation with the Samaritan woman, but as a Jewish man that would have followed kosher law to ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water, which he does, would have meant him using and sharing the same cup. So that was unusual. And so um, Jesus speaking to this woman and asking her for, for a drink is an extraordinary conversation in of, of itself. But the events that then unfolded from this 
conversation wind up having implications in this woman's life and in the life of her, her village. And so we get to talk about the first part of the story today, and it's mostly about water and wells and getting a drink. So when I was, um, and conversation, that's what this is called. So when I was reading in preparation for this teaching, I found out that the woman at the well has a name. So in Eastern Orthodox church tradition, um, they uh, teach that this woman's name was Fotine, that she took that name at her baptism, that she preached the gospel over a wide area and that she was martyred. And she is a saint in the Eastern Orthodox Church, Saint Fotine, and her name means luminous one, which I love because the family name in my family is I'm Joanna Helen and my daughter's Eleanor and my mom is Helen and my grandmother's Ellen and that means bright one. Of course, my oldest child, Sonny's name is Sunny, bright one. Um, and in the, an incredible coincidence, and this has happened so much with the readings that we've chosen, we chose to do this series on John and quite randomly put this story today, but Fatine has a day of celebration in Oaxaca, Mexico. People celebrate St. Fatine and they give drinks to each other in her memory. And it happens today, the fourth Sunday of Lent. Isn't that crazy? So happy celebration day, St. Fatine. So the story of Jesus and Fatine is full of embodiment of the most basic kind because it is noon in the Middle East. So Jesus has been traveling. He is hot. He is tired. John says that he wants to sit down and have a drink. His disciples are going into town to find something for them to eat. And Jesus, uh, this conversation unfolds with all these metaphorical and, and symbolic paths, but it probably started with this very basic need because Jesus lived in a fully human body and had fully human needs and desires and probably sometimes the occasional grossness, just like anybody else with body. And he was hot and tired and probably smelly. And he was really thirsty. And uh, this is the first time that I've ever thought about the fact but Jesus wasn't metaphorically thirsty. Like he literally was like, can I have a drink? We never know if he actually even got a drink. I'm hoping he eventually got a drink as part of this story. Um, and as far as Fatim goes, she wasn't coming to gather water at a time of the day when most other women in the village were coming to gather water, right? Typically that would be done in the cool of the day. You wouldn't be doing your physical jobs at noon when it was the hottest time of the day. And um, so she wasn't coming at a time where it would have been a social thing, right? She wasn't there with other women when it would have been acceptable for her to gather. And she was coming alone, which culturally uh, a lot of writers think speaks to her being in some sort of cultural shame or isolation. And um, so if I'm imagining what her body felt like, maybe her head and shoulders were tired from carrying water. Maybe she was wet. Um, and maybe she was even annoyed. Like if she doesn't have the best 
history with men, maybe Jesus saying to her, um, well, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink. Maybe her tone in saying, you know, who, who are you? Who the heck are you? Do you think you're better than Jacob? And how are you going to give me water? You don't have anything to draw with, and this well is very deep. So again, it occurred to me the first time, like, she doesn't know that she's having this giant philosophical conversation when she starts off. It could be just a very real answer. How are you going to give me a drink? You don't have anything to draw with, and this well is very deep. But when I came to prepare this teaching today, it's that phrase, you don't have anything to draw with in this well is very deep. That really resonates with me and um, is one of the reasons why this passage is so special to me is because when I was in my 20s, I had walked away from the church when I was about 17. I was for lots of reasons, um, but I was trying to find my way back to God like God went anywhere, but that was how I thought about it at the time because I felt like my own sin was too much for God. I had this list in my head of the things you weren't supposed to do and I had done all of them. And um, my sister Caroline knew that I was in this place of asking these questions and she sent me a card where she had written a passage out of a book that was talking about this phrase that Fatine says to Jesus, you don't have anything to draw with and this well is deep, this well is too deep. And it compared this idea of a problem that was too big for God, a situation that was too much for God, that was beyond what God could touch. And at the time that really touched my heart. And it made me think not about me, but about who God was. That there was likely nothing that was going to be too big for God to touch, including my heart. And so as I was preparing this teaching this time, I went back to that thought again. I felt like God was asking me again, saying to me again that I was 14 and that there were situations in my life that I had come to believe were too big for God too deep for God. And some of those are um, not just personal situations, but global ones. I'm, I'm definitely finding that I'm impacted by being one year into this pandemic. And I am aware, even as I was uh, reading today or thinking today about how, you know, the news right now is so personal to all of us. It's very difficult to distance ourselves from how what's happening um, on the news is, is feels like it's impacting us so personally. And so I know for my own mental health, sometimes I need a break from the news or what's happening globally, because I'm not sure we're ever meant to handle just the sheer number of events or pieces of information that we're exposed to now on a daily basis. But um, one of the things that stands out to me about this story of Jesus and Patine is that Whatever cultural events surrounded Fotin that created her situation of isolation, that was impacting her in a very real day-to-day -day kind of way. And um, the, the title I chose 
for this sermon is embodiment in conversation because the conversation that Jesus has with Christine seems to be the way that he moves from this very abstract big thing into the personal. And so when I think about a, a way in to a conversation where we examine what's too much for us or what feels too deep for us, I think the fact that Jesus comes by sharing his need first is pretty key. There's something that happens when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable in hard conversations or hard situations where we start by sharing our need. And the times when I'm most distressed by situations that I don't know how God can move in is when people that I really care about have have different approaches or beliefs. I'm thinking right now about some people's approach or response to this pandemic. And I have genuine fear that their beliefs are gonna expose themselves to risk. Or um, if I think about other parts of my life where I'm wondering if God can really move in a situation, I know that it's when I'm afraid. Um, especially when we're afraid for people that we love or care about, it gets so hard to talk and it gets hard to listen to each other. And so the place where I've been able to find space in my fear or in my heart, in my, my own family's personal experiences is um, when I can share my heart and I share about my own humanity. And when I can ask questions of other people where I'm reminded about their humanity. And that's really the essence of who Jesus was, right? That's he, how he called himself, the, the son of man, the human one. So when I can hear what somebody else is experiencing in a situation where I'm kind of freaking out, um, then I have that ability to have empathy come out of me for them. And I wonder if that's part of what Jesus means by the stream of living water that then can come from us. Because um, what blocks that feeling of that stream of living water for me a lot of times is my own biases or my own fears, right? Thinking, how could they even think that? Or how could they believe that? Um, but when we can come and ask the question, what's God doing here? Like, God, if I believe you're everywhere and I believe that you're already here and you're already in this person or with this person, what are you already doing here? Then that unblocks that flow of compassion or empathy and, and remembering the humanity of the person that I'm dealing with. And they probably have their strong beliefs probably a lot due to their own fears or convictions. And so the imagery of God as water or fountains or life or rivers appears many times in the Bible before this. And Jesus is probably hearkening back like a good Jew who knew his Old Testament. Um, when Israel strayed away from God, God, uh, the prophets used language like, um, well, in Jeremiah, it says, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water. They've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. Or he asks them, like, why are you going to Egypt to drink from the Nile? Why are you going to Assyria? 
And um, but God is this source of living water in scripture is is clear. But what Jesus says to Fatim that's so interesting is that he is this source of living water that's never going to want run dry. He's going to give living water. So everybody who drinks of the water I give will never be thirsty again. Everyone who drinks of the water I give will never thirst. And the water I give them will be a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what's so interesting about that is instead of this picture in the Old Testament, even in health, the picture that's given is like, you will be like a tree that's planted beside streams of water. And these are so beautiful pictures of the river of life. But instead of it being outside of us, it's inside of us. So when I think about changes on the inside of me in the last few years, I um, think about how important that has been. And, and one of the big things that stands out to me is my own self-talk or the like the things that I say about myself inside my head. So when five five years ago when I had a fairly significant breakdown, I realized that one of the things I would often say to myself was, I can't manage this or I can't handle this. I would talk about my own fear. This is too much. This is too much. And and um it's taken me a lot of time and grace and a lot of therapy to be able to differentiate between saying, I'm choosing not to do this right now because I don't have the margin for it and saying, I can't do this or this is too much or I can't handle it or it's scaring me. And instead I am learning to say, well, I am very brave or I can do hard things or, um, or, or even just kindness saying to myself, okay, the limitations of my embodiment today, I can't, I, not, I don't say I can't anymore. If, I, if I'm not able to have the energy for that today, I know I'll be able to manage that a different day. And um, I've been able to develop an awareness of the limits of my own embodiment more as a gift. Not always, sometimes it's so frustrating if I can't do everything that I wanna do. Um, Telling myself that I know that I can do hard things has translated into one of the biggest things of my interior life because it's increased my capacity for conflict and scary conversations, which I still have a hard time with, but I'm a lot better now. And it's caused me to discover that I have this elasticity inside of me that I didn't know was there. And, um, it hasn't just helped me, but it's also helped me in situations with our kids, especially as they've gotten older and they're facing more challenges, that me being able to come to a place where I am able to say now that I don't think there is anything about me that's too much for God, I have been able to say to my kids, there's nothing about them that's too much for me, right? There's not anything that they can say that will be too scary uh, for me. And um, uh, it's brought, believing that 
has like sometimes I have to tell myself in that moment I still feel afraid or scared for them or for me but I I imagine and I think I shared this once before but I imagine space I imagine a spacious place inside of me I imagine the tent of God inside of me I'll actually say inside of me this is not too scary for me this is not too much for me and I say for them to them there's nothing about you that will be too much for me. So it's believing that has helped heal. Um, uh, like on days when I feel like my capacity is quite limited, I'm still able to be kinder to myself. And I think that that has taken away some of the big boulders that maybe would block that stream of living water. So it's easy to forget sometimes our humanity each other's humanity when we have differences, but it's a place to start. I mean, and we don't want to be reminded of our own weaknesses. Even Fatim says in, in the passage that we'll read next week, when Jesus says, I'm going to give you water, she says, give me the water so I don't ever have to come back to this well again. And she didn't love coming to this place that reminded her of her isolation from society. But um, spoiler, spoiler alert for next week, Jesus winds up using that conversation to elevate Fatim's voice and restore her place in her community. And so we have learned through this pandemic year that we need to talk to each other more than ever. Scientists have even discovered that even what they're calling weak social connections, even if we can't see the people we love the most, even just getting out and saying to someone who's walking their dog, hello, or talking to the person in you know, when you go to get your groceries or wherever you go, that that does something in us to talk and connect. But more importantly, it's not just talking to somebody, but it's asking God for that grace to listen to each other and remember each other's humanity, right? That embodied conversation, remembering the humanness of each person that we come across and remembering that there isn't any well, like there's nothing that's too big or too deep for God, even us. So when we look for God in a situation, I think that's when we get a taste of that living water, that empathy, that compassion, that love that comes from a place that maybe we don't even know that we had inside of us. So the question that I want to leave with you today is, is there something in your life that you've come to believe is too deep for God to touch? And would you be willing to at least start a conversation with God today, with Jesus about that?